0: I'm Kate Daniels. Tis the season of so much, and even at the best of times, it can feel overwhelming. For any person dealing with various kinds of anxieties, in particular a social anxiety, rather than seeing this season as a time of fun and play, it's in fact feeling like a burden. We might want to find a remote corner and hide for a month or more. The thing is, awareness, and education can make a world of difference. We can discover we have choices and we have opportunities to make changes. In this season of gift-giving, Chuck Patrikas, a licensed mental health counselor with PAC-Med right here in our area, brings some really important tidings. Chuck Patrikas, good morning and also happy holidays.
1: Thanks. (laughs) Happy holidays to you too. Um, Yeah, this is a busy, crazy time of year for everybody. Um, This is probably a good topic that we're talking about.
0: Yes, exactly. And that was what I was thinking, you know, in saying happy holidays. We're hearing that a lot, everywhere, multiple times, and perhaps we can roll with it, but sometimes that can be a real strain on some people or maybe really on all of us at different times to varying degrees.
1: Sure. I mean, this is like pushes us, Back to the families that we've avoided in the past. Uh, This pushes us into work parties and productivity at uh, different points. It's like a lot comes together in a short amount of time, and our resources are pretty spent. So it is that sort of tunnel vision that we can get around this time of year that that asks more of us than we're usually used to giving.
0: And there is perhaps a name for it, right?
1: Well, I think what we're kind of alluding to with the increased need for social exposure and and performance, we're talking about uh, social anxiety disorder. And I think that has a lot of different connotations. And hopefully today we can flesh that out within a little bit more detail and and get specific and maybe, you know, hopefully helpful to to viewers.
0: And certainly that piece of it being helpful is what we want to do because we said right at the outset, you know, it's it's just a very busy and stressful time of the year. And we're perhaps needing to be around people that we perhaps avoid most of the time. And, well, just with that, should we maybe say, you know what, this is not a good year to get together and, and say thanks, but <laughs> let's, let's try again next let's year? Let's do
1: that. Let's <laughs> go with that. That's a great idea. Let's just write it off. No. Um, yeah, I, I think... Um, avoidance is like the number one, you know, toolkit in most people's box around things that I don't want to do that I have to do. You know, I think most of us have put things off into the last minute. I mean, there's of course some of us out there that, that go right for it, but I think when we're talking about social anxiety, we're talking about anxiety in general. That's what I hear the most, you know, with the patients I work with and people over the years, it's just, you know, I will walk around it until it bites me. And That hasn't usually worked out so hot for them, and that's usually why they're in my office to try to get some help about skills or strategies or, you know, sort of what am I doing wrong or what can I do differently.
0: I like that. Let's rule out avoidance. Let's see how we can be more proactive and make this work for us in the best way possible.
1: Yeah. And I think maybe just sort of... Set the field a bit here. We talk about social anxiety disorder. Um, it's different than shyness. I think people might lump them into a category. They are in the same neighborhood, but they're different houses. Uh, the other houses on that block would be: I'm an introvert. Or, I'm socially awkward. These are all sort of in the category. A lot of introverts being out in the Pacific Northwest. We can relate to this. Seattle freeze and all that stuff. But social. Anxiety disorder, sometimes called social phobia, is pretty different. So like a, a shy person can be in a social situation and just be quiet. They can hang in there. They can listen. They can take in information. Their body's not freaking out. They're just not comfortable. They're not having a good time. Maybe emotionally this is draining for them. I think most of us who, who sort of struggle with sort of social situations would probably fall under that category. And I think the stuff that we're talking about today applies to that, too. When we talk about social phobia, this is like a debilitating um, thing that occurs in people when they just feel overwhelmed, Uh, that the thought of going to this party, this meeting, um, might actually kill me. I might have a heart attack. I might stop breathing. Some fear and dread takes hold of me that increases my heart rate, increases breathing, my circulation changes, the whole physiology changes. And and they may be sitting in that state before this social thing happening. They may be in this for days, sometimes even weeks. And that's rough.
0: Because just the anticipation, knowing this is coming, could be days, weeks, or even months. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, we call that anticipatory anxiety. I mean, imagine this—you uh, know, somebody thinking about, you know, throwing a a seventieth birthday party for one of their parents. So they know this is coming for years. They might have years to actually think, ruminate, and imagine all the ways that's going to go wrong. And slowly, they're like sort of inching forward to this day, you know. And in the meantime, it's causing all these other problems for them um, just to sort of manage uh, their daily life, to organize information. There's this buzzing. There's this static that's that's occurring. And people with this, um, you know, I've seen several patients over the years, they're agoraphobic. You know, they don't leave the house. Agoraphobia is just the fear of, like, open spaces. But that definitely applies to leaving my front door. You know, we have all these services that will deliver groceries to your house. Amazon will deliver products to your house, I mean, ostensibly, you could live an existence where you never left the house. And so, you know, all that stuff's great, but it doesn't really push us out to the grocery store where maybe traditionally that bubble gets popped um, and you you going inch your way out of that isolated state. And so I'm saying this is a minority of people, but, but it affects 15 million Americans. It's the second most commonly diagnosed anxiety disorder, um, so it is it is big. And the ironic thing is, it's the least treated. So only five percent of that fifteen million actually come into therapy, actually start to work on this, because the very idea of coming out to a building and telling somebody about this stuff, in itself, like where do you find the strength to do that? Like how do you how do you get out of that place? You know. So hopefully there's a friend or relative that. Can walk beside somebody like that to help them get the help they need.
0: Yes, absolutely. So that is good to know. There is the help available. Now it's going to take what shall we call it courage? It's going to take a push, uh, maybe reaching out to someone who we are comfortable with to go with us to start that path. Yeah,
1: I think there's a lot of ways that this can happen. So I had a Got a kid who I worked with, he was a teenager, got bullied pretty terribly at school. So he stopped going to school, stopped leaving the house. He would ride in the car with his mom. He trusted his mom, but she would need to choose specific streets so that he would avoid whole neighborhoods because he was so worried about being seen by anybody from his old school. Because not only was it the bullying that he was ashamed of. It was now the humiliation of having to drop out of school and look weak because of that. So, the way in which we actually got him into the office was that I told his mom, have him come with his dog. And so, for him, that animal, you know, was a non judgmental, safe aid for him. And it allowed him to go places and do things that he wouldn't normally do. And I think there's a lot to that sort of psychic connection that people have with animals, especially people with. Social phobia. They don't trust people, but animals are safe. They don't judge me. They don't look at me. And I think for people with um, social anxiety disorder, it's the perception that people are going to look at me, judge me, make assumptions, and I will be quietly humiliated. And I don't even have to see that. I don't even have to hear it. I'm just going to believe that it's occurring. And I'm going to fast forward the tape to the worst case scenario. So, you know, got this kid in the office and began to work with him. And then after a while, he didn't need the dog anymore. After a while, he didn't need his mom anymore. And so we saw that gradual confidence that that bubble needed to
0: get popped first, for sure. So that is very encouraging. There was progress. And we won't talk about timeline because I imagine it's very different for every person.
1: For sure. Yeah. I think this is the sort of thing that you have to be working with somebody with a lot of patience, a lot of flexibility. Um, this is this is not a therapist with a lot of rigidity or structured or we're going to run you through a 12 week program and you know there's some of these programs on the, the internet just about like sort of rapid exposure. And that's not my bag. I don't know how that works as much, but for me it's a lot of patient time, understanding and empathy for To validate the emotional experience for people like this, though it's not my experience or necessarily yours, I can definitely relate to it and certainly say, let's start really small. Let's start really small. Let's go on YouTube and watch a scene of people hanging out together. You know, the most gradual exposure you could, or listen to crowd noises. And you do that in the office, and and you sort of walk up that ladder of fear. until you know, you get them to the end goal, which might be, you know, going back to school or attending that office Christmas party and making conversations with people. So there needs to be an end goal, but it needs to start really small. And I think, you know, that pace, that timeline, yeah, is anyone's guess. But it's good to have some, you know, specific destinations in mind.
0: So because we've spent a little more time kind of uh, discussing this situation, so the end goal then with this teenager was perhaps then being able to go back into the classroom?
1: Yeah. And uh, they ended up going to online school as like one of those sort of gradual steps. So that for them was they were able to start you know, accomplishing some of these academic needs without the full-blown um, school exposure. I think, you know, all of us, you know, not all of us, but some of us have really intense memories of school, like it being difficult or overwhelming, things like this, um, but that has to do with the fact that you're thrown into this giant sensory box of movement and speed and sound and color, uh, eyeballs everywhere, and uh it's, it's a really anxious situation for, for a lot of people, and people, you know, on this end of things, uh, it's an impossibility. But with online school and, and fully walking him through therapy, he was able to start going to um, a school that he liked and he chose it, and the district was able to work with him on that. And we've got a lot of great resources uh, in King and Snohomish County that will help kids get back to that. And I think that's sort of the school piece, but as far as it goes to, like, adults, yeah, um, we're talking about family gatherings. We're talking about um, traveling for the holidays, getting on an airplane, you know. That's just, I hate it. I don't even have this. I hate how tight and uncomfortable it is, all these rules. Um, There's a rigidity about it that just makes me feel anxious, and I can't imagine somebody with high anxiety just, being able to throw themselves into that and be like, yeah, I love this. This is great. You know, happy holidays.
0: And having just been on on a trip, the lines, the endless lines we need to go through. And, you know, even during a non-busy period of the year, there are still these crowds. So for someone that's dealing with anxiety, that has a social anxiety disorder, I think to have to travel through airports would probably be not the best sort of thing to do during the holidays, this holiday season.
1: Yeah, I mean, don't push yourself into it if you're not ready. You know, maybe this is the year that you make some good boundaries around skipping it. But, you know, like don't do that until you've gotten some help, unless you've gotten some coaching, um, because it's not going to go well. You're not going to have a fun time. And then you show up at your destination and you're, you're just tight, you're rigid. And so the people around you are, are sensing that, and you're bringing that with you. So then that reinforces all, all of your worst fears, like, this is a terrible idea. See, so look at I can't do this. I can't hack it. Everybody hates me. Everybody judges me. So really to push yourself and force yourself into this kind of stuff is counterproductive for sure. But it's like it's like a black-and-white thing for us. Either we stay at home, and, and avoid it completely or, you know, we throw ourselves in. And I think what I propose and the kind of work that I do and for people listening is to go see a professional and start with uh, that gradual CBT uh, exposure therapy where, where someone can walk you through slowly around um, the memories that you have, the associations you have with this sort of thing. See where it came from and the, the beliefs around that, and, and then you begin to challenge those beliefs slowly and find that, actually, I wasn't right about this. This was an assumption. This is a belief that I've held on to a long time. I don't know where it came from, but it's just not true anymore. And so I have less fear after practicing, you know, going over the same ground over and over again, Um, even if that means, um, you know, rehearsing something with the the therapist, rehearsing a conversation, or talking to a barista, saying hi to somebody um, at a coffee shop. You know, that's, that seems like a small thing for most of us, but for people who are highly anxious about social things, that's a big deal, and that's a big progress for them. And, you know, say hi to that barista every day until you get comfortable.
0: This is so beautiful to feel this kind of help being available, that it is so empowering to know that we go at our own pace, to not look at well i should be or someone's telling me i should be doing such and such but you're really letting us see take it as you you can slowly and and finding the most perfect therapist for yourself it might would you say chuck that people might need to interview one or two people to to find out where they're comfortable working with someone
1: yeah, I you know, I think therapy is like dating. you got to go on a few dates. you got to go on many dates before you find uh, somebody who fits well. You don't want to just grab the first one that comes along, you know. It might be a bad match, and it doesn't work, and then you blame yourself for being incompatible or you did something wrong. So I think it is worth going out there. But once again, leaving the house, going, telling somebody your story uh, in a room in a building is a highly anxious thing, you know. So that person, whoever that is, is going to need a lot of family, friends, support. Hopefully they have that. Um, hopefully there's programs out there that, you know, they can connect with to just get them into the office. I think that's the key thing. But the kind of relief that comes from people who walk in and they're validated and not judged for how they feel, and they learn they're not the only ones that struggle with this, and they learn that there's a lot of good research Um an evidence-based practice to say that this is something that can definitely be moved. You know, there are some things in the mental health world that are just are really tough to move, personality disorders and things like that. But this this is an area of phobia, and phobia um, has a lot of, lot of good practice around it. So ask that person that you're going to go see, do you do gradual exposure? Do you have experience doing CBT around um, fears? and social anxiety stuff like
0: that. So see you are the bearer of such great news and we think of the season as a season of gift giving you are really just loading us down with wonderful gifts about the hope, the potential, being patient but still there is that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah,
1: I like to think so and you know, I, I also hope that I don't have to go shopping after this conversation because I've given all my gifts. So um, <laughs> let's let's just call it good for everybody this year. Um, yeah, I, I just think this seems like the, the mindset is like I'm hopeless. You know, like this can't, you know, this, the, the, we, we do operate in an extroverted world. We operate in a world that says to get that promotion, you've got to have a big personality. You've got to be assertive. you got to read this. Malcolm Gladwell book about leadership, Tony Robbins, you know, you don't need to be this enigmatic or, you know, sort of charismatic person rather um, to be existing. I think that's a social pressure that is unattainable for most of us. And the thoughts of somebody trapped in this is like, I don't measure up, you know, look at everybody else. They're going on social media, just looking at all the fun, um, you know, vacations that people are taking and the way that they're successful. So people with um, social anxiety really have to boundary themselves around social media. I think that is not doing any favors um, for any sort of realistic view on, on what it means to be, you know, functioning and, and, and what it takes to, to be in a workplace or be in a friendship or a marriage or a relationship.
0: There's another gift right there, I believe. Giving us permission, <laughs> you don't have to hook into all that social media and And feel just fine with it, that there's no obligation to just, you know, either ignore it, do it as much as you feel like, or just know what your boundaries are around it and that because it's you, it's okay. We have that kind of control.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's gold when somebody can validate you, validate your experience and, and just just start from wherever you're, you're ready to, to start with. And, um, you know, I, I think if, if anyone's listening, I'm sure there's somebody that we know, if not ourselves, that this applies to. And I just wonder, you know, in this season, talking about gifts, you know, reaching out to that person in not a condescending, not a sort of stalkerish way, but like say like, hey, I'd be willing to go. Somewhere with you to get help. I'd be willing to like walk you through this. I'd be willing to just, you know, be the training wheels that you need until you can get on your own. And I think obviously that's not anything that costs anything, but it's um, it's the way in which we begin to break the isolation, the um, the feelings that nobody cares, and that. You know, we're all just living for ourselves. They just think, you know, it's corny, but it's, yeah, it's, it's the spirit of Christmas. You know, it's like that that reaching over and, and thinking about um, what can I do, you know, to be an effective person. This isn't a charity that you'd be giving to. This isn't some far off thing. This is like requires something of you to go be uncomfortable maybe and ask somebody if they need help in getting help.
0: You know, it's interesting in that whole concept, it brings to mind an ad. I don't know if they're still doing this, but they talked about something being priceless. And that's what I feel this kind of gift, reaching out to someone when we have a sense of it and acting on that sense and just offering, you know, being uh, kind and doing so, being compassionate and, you know, just reaching out that is really I think the golden gift
1: yeah and that's that's a very like hands and feet thing right there and I I think the other w- part of this that you know is worth mentioning is that you know medications can do a lot um, I don't I think that's sort of a, a dirty word in our world because of the opioid crisis and uh, the ways that things are getting abused but we're talking about antidepressants we're talking about beta blockers SSRI things that work within the body's system, the serotonin levels in somebody. Serotonin is one of our feel-good chemicals. Um, a lot of it's generated from our gut, and people who have high anxiety or social anxiety often have too little of this chemical or too much. And what medication can do is to level out that chemical to give it regular levels. So then you have that chemical piece that's sort of leveled out, and then all of a sudden, things have shifted in your world—not like you know maybe 180, but enough that you can begin to function, that you can walk into situations. And then it breaks this belief that there's something broken about me, there's something wrong with me. Um, I, I make mistakes. I'm I'm somehow, you know, a failure. So it takes the narrative away from that, and it kind of reduces it. Sometimes with certain people, that it's just simply a chemical imbalance. And like, what a relief! somebody taking a medication just to realize this is a short circuit and now I can start working on you know these other parts of myself that I haven't even been able to access so I do want to encourage people you know the best combination of, of getting better in this field is being a therapist and seeing a psychiatrist, and the medication and the talk therapy working hand in hand is going to give you the best outcome so just another avenue for for feeling better Obviously, wine and turkey are are great, but, you know, they can only do so
0: much. Truly, yes. Well, this is just such a great wealth of information for any time of year. But at this heightened season of social activity, I think just is really an important conversation. Uh, As usual in our times together, Chuck Patrykos, I really appreciate that you have this great uh, experience all these insights that you're so ready and willing to share with us. And I think we should mention uh, the website for PacMed for Pacific Medical Centers, because uh, there, you know, people can find s- details about locations, doctors, insurance coverage, all that sort of thing, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, I work out of Canyon Park, which is in Bothell. We have uh, locations in Beacon Hill in Seattle, Northgate, Linwood, down to Federal Way. I think we have uh, about 10 locations. Um, We have several of those locations have psychiatrists uh, on site. I have one right across the hall from me. So if you come here, you see me, you see the doc, we talk uh, really easily, uh, share notes. And and that's the kind of team that you want to start building. Um, And there's also resources in our building for for people uh, who need, you know, sort of wraparound care, uh, case management stuff that requires a little more, uh, you know, home visits or hands and feet kind of thing. Um, in fact, there's a the resource in our building that um, is kind of new, and the, they're called Hope Rising Clinic, and that's for kids with autism, SAS, but they also include other needs too. So I just want to put that out there as uh, another
0: resource which is great, showing that we can start at a young age and there's great resources available to do that if those signs are present. And so that website is?
1: www.pacmed.org, P-A-C-M-E-D.org. Yeah, so just go on there, uh, find the location that's closest to you and there's an intake number, you call it up. And they'll they'll try to get you in as soon as
0: possible to see somebody. So wonderful! Such a really a great wealth of information that is uh, pertinent, really I think, to all of us in some shape or form, uh, to greater and lesser degrees. And if we don't feel that great need, certainly we might have someone in your in our life who could benefit. And as you were suggesting, Chuck, that it could be just one of the best gifts that we could do to reach out and offer ourselves as a, uh, as a means of, of getting to uh, to the next step. So uh, as usual, it's just so wonderful to connect with you, share this information. I thank you so greatly for for your work and for taking time with us today.
1: Thanks for making space on your show for this, Kate. And, uh, yeah, I hope uh, it does help people at home. And, uh, you know, maybe we just need to slow down a little bit, and it's okay. You know, take care of yourself this year. It's okay to let some people down if you need to. you got to make sure you're on dry land before you can help anyone else. So, yeah, thanks for putting the word out, Kate.
0: Absolutely happy to do so. Thank you greatly.
2: All right. This is Mandy Ringenberg with a Sunday morning shout out. This week's shout out goes to Washington's National Park Fund. Washington's National Park Fund is the official philanthropic partner of our cherished Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Their mission is to raise private support to deepen the public's love for, understanding of, and experiences the state's national parks. Their vision is for all the state parks to be strong and vibrant, youthful and everlasting. The funds raised by Washington's National Park Fund help fund 50 to 75 projects annually in these parks. The organization works closely with the superintendents of each of the three national parks who select the priority projects for the respective parks. The projects fall into four core areas advancing science and research, improving visitors' experiences, expanding volunteerism and stewardship, and providing for youth and family programs. Washington's National Park Fund has enabled the purchase of critical search and rescue equipment, countless miles of trail maintenance, wildlife studies, meadow restoration teams, the removal of invasive species, shrinking glacier studies, and many other projects. The nonpartisan organization is led by CEO Lori Ward, who works with a team of four dedicated staff members and more than 20 passionate and engaged board members. Learn more about Washington's National Park Fund on their website, WNPF.org. That's WNPF.org.